Howdy. You're listening to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat, all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Um, dear Lord, I thank you for this time that we get tonight to hear your word, your truth. Um, I pray that you would um, speak through Austin. Um, let him speak truth um, and let that um, convict us, sit with us, and just above all reveal your character to us, Lord. We love you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, howdy! My name is Austin McCann. I'm RUF campus minister here. I just want to say this, that if this is your first time to RUF, really glad you're here. Uh, special welcome to all the freshmen here as well and transfer students. And even if you're a returning student and this is your first time to RUF, we're really glad you're here. You've probably seen our signage outside, but we really believe this, that you're never so good that you stand outside the need of God's grace. While at the same time, you're never so bad that you stand outside the reach of his grace. We really do believe that. And we hope that you taste that when you experience RUF, when you, I don't know, interact with me and, and the students here, we hope you really experience that. Because, I don't know, if you've grown up and you've been a Christian your entire life, RUF is for you. 
But if you're here tonight and you're really skeptical of the truth claims of the Bible and of Christianity, I want you to know the REF is for you as well. We want you to bring your questions, and we're glad you're here. Okay? We're sincere about that. And if this is your first time, usually what we do, the normal practice of REF is, at least in a large group, is that we just take a book of the Bible every semester, and we march through it. But this semester, we're doing something a little bit different, because every four years in RUF, in the fall, we take a look at relationships, what the Bible has to say about relationships, about how we relate to God, about how we relate to one another, and about how we relate to this world and and ourselves. And so, as I kick off tonight, um, let me, I want to share a story. Actually, I want to say this, too. There's a a lot of RUFs around the country that have done this for a very long time, so if I say something that uh, is probably not original to me, Okay. If it was, it would probably be a problem. So, like I said last week, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, and so, uh, let me let me by saying this: uh, a story that my friend told me. Uh, it was it was spring semester of Charles's uh, freshman year, and uh, he met met a girl named Amy. And uh, and you usually know how this goes. Like him and Amy started hanging out a little bit more. He started like noticing like when Amy showed up to an event or like a large group. He, like he knew that she was going to be there. Uh, and so he kind of like started hanging out where Amy was hanging out, not in a creepy way, but like they just, I don't know. He was just around her. And then like their friend group started hanging out a little bit more. And then he kind of came to the conclusion, conclusion, he's like, I think Amy's into me. Like I think this is, this is, like, this is working. And so one night, like both uh, Amy's friend group and his friend group ended up going to a movie together. And so they go to a movie, and of course Charles is like, I got to sit by Amy. Okay, so I'm going to sit by her. And so he does. Uh, mission accomplished. She sits by Amy. And as the movie's going, he's like sweating profusely. And, and he's sitting there and he's like, he's getting really nervous. Because he's, he's decided, he's convinced himself, like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to hold her hand. And so, and so he's like, okay, I'm going to make the move. And finally he makes the move. And he sets his hand on Amy's hand. And she doesn't move it. Like, success. <laughs> and he's like, he's pumped. Fireworks are going off in his brain. And then their fingers, like, interlock. And he's like, oh, my goodness, yes. Like, it's working. This is the best movie I've ever seen in my life. Like, and then as the movie's going on, he's just thrilled. And he leans over to whisper something to Amy. And when he leans over, he notices something. And he looks on the other side. And Amy is actually holding his best friend's hand as well on the other side. And, like, <laughs> Amy, Amy's a player, right? Uh, and, like, he... True story. Uh, like, he becomes completely deflated and crushed, right? Because in that moment, like, Charles experienced, in that two-hour window, like, nervousness and sweating and, like, joy and excitement quickly turned to betrayal and rejection and anger. And, like, that's it. There it is. Like, there's, there's relationships summed up for you, right? Like, in a small two-hour window, the reality of a relationship is felt. Both joy and pain. Right? Excitement and frustration. From you're, you're my lover to I forgot that you existed. Right? Tough night for Charles. But, like, we looked at this last week, okay? That because we're created in the image of a Trinitarian and relational God, relationships are central to who you are. They're actually they're a place of joy and happiness and, and delight because we're designed for relationships. But at the same time, relationships are still a place full of hurt and confusion and sorrow. And tonight we're going to look at Genesis 3 and and get a sense of why relationships are so messy and why they hurt so much. 
So tonight, if you're, if you're a note taker, here it is, okay? Let's consider three things about the mess of relationships, okay? First is the lie that creates the mess. Second is the result of the mess. And lastly is the healing of the mess. So the lie, the result, and the healing, okay? So first, verses 1 through 6, the lie that creates the mess. When you ask the question, what has gone wrong with us and our relationships in this world? When you take that question to the Bible, the Bible actually has a very nuanced, but also very clear answer to that. Because according to the scriptures, when sin enters into the world, it breaks everything. It shatters everything. And what happened? Well, we just read, right, that, that Ryan read for us. We, we have Adam and Eve here, okay, who are made in God's image. They're living under the full acceptance and delight of the God who made them. And everything is right and perfect. But what happens? Well, we find Satan in our passage disguised as a serpent, approaching Eve. And look what he says in verse 1. Did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? That kind of sounds right, doesn't it, if you're familiar with the Bible? Because it's similar to God's command back in chapter 2 that God gave to Adam. But there's a twist. That this is why Satan is known throughout the entire Bible as a deceiver. He's always, there's always a mixture of truth and a lie. He loves confusion. Because back in chapter 2, God tells Adam, you, shall, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. So did you hear the subtle twist of Satan that he offers to Eve? That God has given Adam and Eve every tree of the garden. But Satan approaches Eve and says, okay, Eve, like what's up with God? Like, is he withholding something from you? Because Satan's goal in chapter 3 is to twist God's word in order to ultimately twist God's character. And that's really important. That's the pattern that he always follows. Satan is saying, Eve, don't focus on all that God has given you. Don't see how good he is. Dwell on the fact, on the things that he says that you can't have. And it actually works. Satan knows that Adam and Eve will never rebel against God unless they begin to question God's character. Unless they begin to question his goodness, his love for them. So Satan injects a lie that, that says that God isn't good, that he isn't trustworthy. And once that is believed, it changes everything. Uh, like, we know this is true, right? Like, think about the way that you receive things. Um, let's take a hug, for example. Okay, maybe, maybe you're not a hugger in here. That's okay. Um, tell people you're not a hugger, but they try and hug you. Um, but like, if you're sad and, and your good friend like, offers you a hug, most likely everyone here would, would probably receive that, right? But if you're sad and like a random shady stranger tries to hug you, like, you're probably not going to receive that. Right, because, because with your friend, you know their character, that her intent is to comfort you. And with the shady stranger, you don't know his intent. You don't know their character. And it's like really creepy, right? See, the same thing, this is the principle I want you to hold on to, the same thing may be offered, but the perceived character of the person offering it dictates everything. And see, Eve here begins to question the character of God, who's given her and Adam everything. The one who sustains them and loves them. And she starts wondering, I don't know. Like, does God really want what's best for me? Like, is his character really good, loving, and selfless? Like, maybe the things that God is forbidding are maybe the things that are actually good for me. Maybe he command, his commands is actually a way of manipulating me into, poor, 
into poverty and misery. And once Adam and Eve distort the character of God, rebellion is inevitable. Because the commands of God now seem ridiculous. Right? God and His law, His word, will never seem like it is good for you if you distrust the character behind the law. That's always true. And so, so how does questioning the character of God actually bleed into how we relate to one another? Right? Th- think about friendships, for example, for example. Right? Like, the jealousy and the bitterness that hurts relationships, how does that begin? Right? We, we begin by comparing ourselves to other people and their situations, and we think, you know, she has the charm, like, he, he has all the connections, she has the boyfriend, he has the sociable personality. And we say, everything falls their way. And this jealousy and bitterness begins to deform and actually deteriorate the, the relationship. Really what you're saying is that if I had what she or, if I had what he or she had, then I would be okay. Life would be okay. But I actually want you to see what's actually behind that and beneath that. That because we talked about this last week, because the fall severed our vertical relationship with God, by consequence, it always affects our horizontal relationship with one another. Always. And so even if you never put it into words, here's what you're thinking when jealousy is happening in your heart. What you're really saying is that the Lord has been good to him or her but not to me. The Lord has withheld from me what I need. And it's impossible to actually love and care for someone that you're jealous of because you always want want what they have. And it's always selfish. Right? Like, consider, like, the ways, like, we often ignore certain people, right, distance ourselves from others, or overtly just, like, tear other people down in order to fit into a friend group. Because, well, like, we convince ourselves, like, that's better than being alone. Like, do you feel what's beneath that? What you're really saying is there's no way God is being good to me if I'm alone. He either doesn't care, or worse, he's holding out on me. So I'm going to take matters in my own hands. Because God isn't good and he isn't trustworthy. So I'll do whatever it takes to fit into this friend group or this organization to accept it. Or, or even think about an unhealthy dating relationship. Which, I don't know, maybe some of you have been in that. You, you will at some point in your life or... Maybe you have a friend that is in one right now. Right? And some of you in this room, like you think, like, yeah, but that, that, they're never going to break up. I know that relationship won't end because they really believe that that relationship is fulfillment in life. That, that you think if, if this relationship ends and the Lord won't sustain me, he won't really provide what I need. Because we buy into the social pressure that I have to have a boyfriend or girlfriend in order to be fulfilled, and if I don't, then God really isn't good to me. So first we must see this, that the lie that opened the door for sin to enter into the world and to deform our relationships with one another and with God himself is believing that God is not good or loving. Is believing that he's withholding, stingy, selfish. And what Satan does is he twists his word trying to get us to doubt his character. And it's the same lie behind all of our sin and relational dysfunction with each other. God is not good. He's not trustworthy. So that's the lie of the mess in our relationships. Okay, so that's the lie. Secondly, let's look at the result of the mess, okay? The result of sin deforming relationships, verses 7 through 11. Right, there's so much packed into this chapter, in chapter 3, and we could spend a lot more time on it. But with the time that we have, right, because when sin enters the world, when the relationship with God breaks, everything else breaks. But I want to zero in on this downward spiral that Adam and Eve experience after they sin and rebel against God. 
which is shame, fear, and hiding. And it's what you see described in verse 7, the beginning of this downward spiral. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See, in chapter 2, when God creates Adam and Eve, they were both described as being naked and unashamed. Think about that picture. Adam and Eve were completely and utterly open and exposed in every way before God and before each other. And there was nothing but delight, love, and freedom. That there is freeness because they know that the Lord actually delights in us. But now, because sin and guilt, things aren't right. And Adam and Eve become aware of their nakedness. Their eyes are open. And for the first time, they think, oh no, like something is really wrong with me. And from this point on, if you, if you continue reading your Bible all throughout, all the way to Revelation, what you will find is that nakedness always becomes a picture of shame. Whenever you see nakedness in the Bible, it's always connected to shame. So what is shame? Um, I had a friend, uh, he was in junior high, and uh, he woke up on a Saturday morning, and like, do you remember this as a junior high kid? Like, Saturday mornings were precious, right? You, you got to soak up as much as your Saturday as possible. Probably sleeping in, playing video games, doing whatever you want. But, but my friend's dad was like really strict, and he was like, hey, you need to get up and get a mow the lawn. So my friend gets up out of bed, he goes to mow the lawn really early in the morning, and it's really hot, and he's mowing the lawn. And as he's going forward, the grass dispenser actually gets clogged up. And he stops for a second. He's just exhausted, and he reaches down to like take out the grass from the grass dispenser. And he said it happened so fast that he put his hand under there. When he pulled it out, half of his ring finger was cut off, and blood was everywhere. So sorry if you're scared of blood. Um, and like. His first thought when that happened was not like, ouch, like the pain hurts. His first thought, honestly, was, how could I be so stupid? I'm such an idiot. And he ended up going to the hospital, and they bandaged it up. They sent him back home. He had, he had plenty of drugs in the system. But like, he, he was at home, and he, was, he just remembers weeping like, like all night. And he says, it wasn't the pain. I could care less about the pain. But he knew that on Monday morning, he had to go back to school and explain to people like what actually happened. <laughs> and he was like, it wasn't the pain. It was the fact that I got to go back and share, like, actually face the shame of the fact that, I don't know, my friends are going to laugh at me and think that I'm dumb. You see, like what shame does is it's the belief in the functioning reality that there's something about me, part of me, all of me, that if you were to see it, you would not want a relationship with me. But instead of wanting me, connecting with me, that you would actually end up rejecting me and laughing at me instead. See, this is the major relational dysfunction of the fall. Is that where there is guilt before God, there is always shame before God and one another. And we all know that there is a gap between what I should be and who I actually am. And the result is shame. So how does shame affect relationships with one another? Well, we do exactly what Adam and Eve do. We hide. That instead of coming to the Lord in the nakedness and their shame, the Lord that loved them, the Lord that delighted in them, the Lord that knows them better than they know themselves, instead of coming to Him, they hide in the trees from God, and they cover themselves with fig leaves. And so here's the relational dysfunction, right? And this is what we all do. We construct our own coverings trying to, to get the acceptance, trying to hide what we actually are. And right, at the risk of sounding cheesy, okay, like, the question that I want to hold out for you is, like, really, what is your fig leaf? 
Like, what's your cover? What is your method of hiding? Like, if I were to guess, like, I don't know, some of us in here, that method may look like spiritual activity. Right? If I can just be at RUF enough, if I can use the right Christian jargon, if I can keep up the appearance, maybe no one will actually see the real me. No one will actually ask me the hard questions. Sure, I may confess that I'm like prideful or something that's like acceptable in our circles, but no one will ever know the sin that I really struggle with. So I hold up this Christian activity and lingo, and I say, look at these figures. So people relate to the spiritual fig leaf view and actually not the real view. Right? Some of us hide by trying to perfect one area of our life so that people will focus on that instead of us, actually ourselves. Um, about to get really vulnerable with Aguiar up here, okay? Uh, we have him. I may not have met you yet. So. Um, like, you know what one of my worst nightmares is about being a campus minister? It's that I show up to RUF large group and I don't have my sermon notes. Like, I've actually woken up in terror in the middle of the night last spring because of that, seriously. <laughs> Why is that? Why is that nightmare fuel for me? Because I doubt God's character. Thinking that without my sermon notes, then my students are going to be thinking, I don't know, I'm a terrible leader, I'm a terrible preacher. And they'll see me for the mess that I really am. And like some of you, some of you tonight are working so hard to perfect your image as the smart one, or as the really good engineer, or as the funny one, or as the social one, or the beautiful one, or maybe the one who never cracks and is always fine. Whatever it is. Like there is this knowledge that I know who I should be, but maybe, maybe I can control this one area of my life and wave that fig leaf and cover myself so that no one will really see it. Those are just a few examples of how we respond to this downward spiral of shame, fear, and hype. So the mess and hurt and dysfunction of our relationships begins with the lie that questions and doubts God's character. And then the result of that is shame, fear, and hiding. So let's now briefly consider the healing reform that Jesus brings to our relationships. Our last point here, okay? This is the healing of the mess in verses 15 through 21. Right, we see hints of this in our passage, and I really love this. We see that God actually comes after Adam and Eve. He actually calls, he calls them back to himself. And this is one of the most beautiful things about the beginning of the Bible, the story of the Bible. And it really shocks me. Because God continues to be good even though they distrust him. He's calling them out of their hiding. He's, remember he says like, Adam and Eve, where are you? And he addresses their shame, and he doesn't ignore it. He says, who told you that you were naked? He's pursuing them in their shame and fear, inviting them to come to him. And what I want you to see is that almost, almost as soon as they come out of hiding, as soon as they start talking, God does something. God says something, and then he does something. That's God's path. He makes a promise in Genesis 3.15. He promises that one day, the seed of Eve, someone born of a woman, will expose the lies of the serpent and crush it. And then God does something. He immediately covers Adam and Eve. He makes a promise, and then he does something about it. He takes away their silly fig leaves, and he covers their, their nakedness with animal skins in verse 21. Which means that something had to die that day. Remember, God said that like, they would die if they ate the forbidden fruit. Right? Which there was a spiritual death, 
But they didn't die physically. An animal did. And that death covered them. And it really is beautiful. Because right after shame enters the world, you see the Lord saying, I will make sure that the serpent is crushed and I will cover your shame. I think we over, overlook this so easily, and this is what I think is amazing about this, about Scripture, about God choosing to reveal Himself to us in this way, is that the story of the Bible could have ended at chapter 3, verse 14. It could have ended there. Why? Because God's not dependent upon us. He didn't have to save us. He could have easily started over, and He would have been fully just to do that. But we, we witness earth-shattering grace. And that God actually intervenes. He actually reveals his character as a mockery against Satan. He's saying, you think I'm withholding? You think I'm vengeful? You think I'm stingy? Watch this. And what we see through the, at the very beginning of Scripture, all the way to the end of the Bible, is over and over and over again in the Old Testament, God keeps pursuing his people in their shame, in their fear, and in their hiding. And then God the Son comes to this earth in the person Jesus, born of a woman. And it's interesting because as Jesus goes about his ministry, there's a growing reaction to him. If you read the Gospels, he's mocked by the religious leaders of the day. He's arrested. He's falsely accused, belittled, scorned, beaten, rejected, and then finally condemned. One thing that all the Gospel writers have in common is it's as if they want you to feel how much shame that Jesus has endured, both physical and the eternal wrath of God. And every gospel writer records this, that he is nailed to the cross completely naked. That this is the one man, the God-man, who has nothing to be ashamed of. So how does the serpent's lie get exposed? God's character is so good that he suffered and died for me in my place. How is shame removed? Jesus does it. We look at the cross. There is Jesus substituting himself for us. So that I can be clean and righteous and seen and loved, naked and unashamed before God in Christ. Jesus takes what I deserve, the condemnation, the guilt, the shame, and he gives me what he deserves, acceptance, love, and righteousness. And it's through Christ's cruciform love and the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15 that begins to reform our relationship with God and with one another in this world. And I'll end with this. Um, a guy named David Ireland, uh, he wrote a book called Letters to an Unborn Child. Um, and he wrote these letters because he was actually diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, which is a really nasty disease. Um, it kind of eats away your body and deteriorates you, and you lose the ability to walk and eventually become completely dependent on someone else for life. And right, David knew that this disease was going to actually was gonna be fatal, and it, it was going to kill him before his child was born, so he wrote these letters. But a part of the reason that he wrote these letters is he, he wanted to tell his son about his wife, about his mother. And he describes in one of these letters about his nightly shower routine that he hates. And he goes into great detail about this routine that he does with his wife in the shower because his wife has to roll him into the shower, and she turns him around, and he describes how he's, he's sitting in the shower he, he's facing the mirror, and he's just disgusted with himself. As he looks, and he can see he, like his concave chest, like he can't hold his head up straight, and there's like drool coming from him, and his wife has to clean him and bathe him and wash him, and he just says that he hates himself. 
And when he's recording this situation, he's writing this, this to his unborn child, and he says this. He says, you need to know this, that your mom will stop and say, honey, will you just stop it? Will you stop admiring yourself in the mirror? And then a few hours later, she will put my hand in her lap and say, you know you're so handsome. You're the most handsome man I know. You know I love you forever, right? And he says, somehow, because of our shared experience, because of all that we've been through together, I know that she really needs that. See, this is what the healing work of Jesus offers you in relationships. That we have a God who so loved us in our deformed and helpless state, that he sent his son to transform us, and that when he looks at you and me, he delights in you, because he sees you covered in Jesus' righteousness. Because in Christ, you will find that he is not ashamed of you. He says, I see you for who you are, and I love you. I treasure you. I cover you in my forgiveness, in my perfection. The healing will not come from denial. It's not going to come from hiding. It will only come from again and again and again being fully exposed to Jesus' cruciform love for you on your behalf and letting his light eyes look on you and take great delight in you. That's what's going to begin to change you. That it's only by the vertical cruciform love in Christ which will begin the healing process to transform all of our horizontal relationships. That's what we're holding out for you this semester. Would you come back next week and we'll continue to see how that love begins to change everything. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we're able to meet and read again, Father, of your great promises. You say something, and Father, you always do it. Lord, we thank you for fulfilling, for fulfilling your promises so long ago in your Son, Jesus, or that we can relish in the fact that you look on us, not by our works, not by our sin, but you look at us and you see Jesus' righteousness covered. But would that give us hope? Would that help us to actually love and care for one another? Would that bleed into the relationships we have? Dating, friendship, singleness? Would you teach us how to love you and to have, how to live out of that love that you have for us in the way that we care and reach those around us? We love you and we thank you for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If you're interested in joining us for a large group, we would love to see you at All Faiths Chapel on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events we're putting on. We hope to see you around. Thanks and gig'em.